0: Welcome to the L&T Chat Show, and today I am joined by three guests. Um, so I have with me Ben Walker, Andrew Stork, and uh, Dave Lochte. Um, and Andy, if we could start with you, would you like to introduce yourself? Just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, sure. Um, my name is Andy Stork. I'm a
1: university teacher in medical education at the University of Sheffield, And the main part of my role is uh, running the postgraduate certificate in medical education. So basically, um, training uh, medics
0: to teach and be educators. Okay, and uh, Dave, you're up next.
2: I'm Dave Lochte. I'm the senior operations manager for the Open University. Um, I originally qualified as a teacher uh, and have been in higher education for about 15 years. My role now is managing the personal learning advisory service, which is a specialist uh, tutoring and advising service for students from disadvantaged backgrounds.
0: OK, and uh, Ben, last but not least.
3: Yeah, thanks, Roger hi to you and hi to everyone and all your listeners uh, so my name is ben walker i'm a senior lecturer in educational development at oxford brooks university so i teach on our course that conveys fellowship of advanced he or fellowship of hea as we also know it amongst
0: uh, many other educational initiatives staff development and research and, and today we're going to be talking about personal tutoring but in, in particular um, you guys have all got together and over a number of years have written uh, three books, and I know that they've they've kind of taken uh, different perspectives. Um, so, uh, Andy, I, I think you're going to talk to us about what the first book was and if you can give us an idea of kind of where did the idea come from to actually get together and collaborate and, and produce the work? And, and how did you decide what the focus was going to be?
1: Yeah, sure, Roger. So it actually started nearly about 10 years ago. So, um, and I can remember it quite clearly where I was a lecturer in business uh, as well as in education. So I was teaching um, FE teachers how to teach on the PG Cert in association with Sheffield Hallam. And I was asked by their course leader to do a book review um, for a new textbook. So as I'd, after I'd done the actual uh, review of the book, I sat down with Ben at lunch. In the, I always remember it in the canteen. We were both working at the Sheffield College. And I turned to Ben and said, has anyone ever actually written a book about personal tutoring and advising? You know, this key role that people in FE and HE do. Um, and, you know, through a little bit of research, we found out that no, no, they don't. There, there wasn't really. There was a book in, in 2006 um, mainly focused on Chi, but in terms of FE at the time, there wasn't a book. So, um, you know, to cut a very long story short, um, you know, we spoke to the publisher, critical publishing, and, you know, said, would they be interested? And um, and then over 18 months, we we wrote a, we wrote a text for further education on effective personal tutoring. And, and at the time, um, both of my, both Ben and myself were actually in a fortunate position because we were managing the personal tutoring and advising and student experience um, for students at uh, the Sheffield College in further education. And we actually ran, um, we actually had a different, I will not say a different system, but we were running what we called at the time a centralized system. So the college had gone through a, a what was said at the time to be the largest change in its kind of structure of personal tutoring ever, where all um, all teachers, all lecturers uh, had their personal tutoring role taken off them, and they hired around fifty or sixty specialized personal tutors who did that full time. Um, and you know, we worked on the implementation of that system, and the development and the development of the tutors. And so we were in a, a really strong position to talk practically about the book, but also. Um, through you know research and, and 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 other things, we developed the developed
0: the text for FE, which um, which was really well received. And and in terms of that that sort of alternative, because I, I've experienced personal tutoring in in lots of different places, and and often the schemes are very much run the same, and and do sort of primarily focus on on academics. So. Did that work out to be better, that, that that was taken away from academics and it was done by people who weren't necessarily directly involved in the teaching and learning?
1: That's such a good question, and that's something we could probably chew for at least 24 <laughs> hours, maybe not fit into this podcast. I'll, just to give you a few headlines, though, um, you know, we we worked on a system where. Um, obviously, this was taken off you know, lecturers and actually, you know, there was some reticence, there was some who were unhappy about that, some who were happy about it. They were thinking, yeah, I can focus on my teaching and I don't have to do this kind of role that sometimes they might find difficult or problematic. And and actually for the Sheffield College, and there was an article out in the press about this, I think the national press uh, or, or local press, where the key performance indicators of this change within about 12 to 18 months they saw a, uh, a huge rise, I think it was a 9% rise in student retention um, and uh, a rise in success rates, a rise in attendance and punctuality. They got really good uh, reports from students how much they liked having a um, kind of a, that's, that specialized personal tutor, someone who was always there to support them. They might not always be in necessarily in a classroom as a teacher might be, so they were probably more accessible. So I think. Um, so I think, yeah, the it was at the time move, that switch really helped the Sheffield College and in terms of a lot of different key performance
0: indicators. And, um, and can I just check that that's an FE college. was that just teaching FE course, courses or just the no, first place I so, saw was uh, an uh, FE college, but it 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 was primarily focused or the bit I was in, it was on degrees and HNDs.
1: Yeah, so um, it, it covered everything. So everything from higher education courses. Through down to uh, entry level one courses, so students like below GCSE level, um, and everything in between. You know, vocational courses, academic courses, anything and everything you can think of. Um, kind of, it it touched upon. Okay. So so yeah, a very wide range of students that we worked with, um, and it was a very enjoyable experience. You know, managing it very difficult at times um but really enjoyable and we learned we
0: learned a lot in that job really okay um so i'm just going to move on to uh, dave because uh, you're going to talk about the second book but i am interested in having written this book which you know clearly had some impact um and and effectively having resolved that thing of there wasn't a, a book about uh, personal tutoring in, in, in fe how did that segue then into the into the second book
2: Well, from my perspective, I first came across uh, Andy and Ben and their work in around about 2016. So after that book had come out and uh, speaking at various conferences at organisations like UCAT, the UK Advising and Tutoring Organisation, which is part of the wider international NACADA, um, which is an academic advising organisation. And... I felt that what their experience was with an FE was very much translatable to higher education, that a lot of the challenges that we face uh, the two sectors or did at the time in terms of working with students on a one to one basis uh, were translatable. Uh, however there were some things that were different and we spent a lot of time when we agreed to start working together looking at the differences and everything from changing words from learners to students and the kind of the the titles that you might use in higher education Uh, things like safeguarding and things like that there were some specific elements that that change when the students kind of pass over the age of 18 and we felt that the book that Andy referred to earlier which had been around in 2006 that there were still some things that were relevant from that but this needed to be combined together for the higher education sector because I've been quite passionate for some time that the role of a personal tutor was hugely influential on students I saw students fill out surveys all of the time that said that their personal tutors were amazing and impactful on them or in the other direction saying that actually they didn't receive much of a a good experience and the variable level in between that and I really liked what Andy and Ben had done about making it a really practical book that somebody could pick up off the shelf they could utilize on a day-to-day day basis and really inform their practice. So what we sought to do was to try and um, modify the book to to make it for an HE. So I update it as well. Things changed between 2014 to 2018. Myself and uh, a colleague, Emily McIntosh, brought in higher education experience, and we went through chapter by chapter and said, this is something we can keep, this is something we can modify, this is something actually we need to have as a specific kind of stand alone with the 2018 book. And uh, it built upon a lot of experience within the sector as to how students were accessing support, what challenges personal tutors were facing at that time, and I feel that we we combine that together well. Um, the One of the authors of the 2006 book, Liz Thomas, was brought on to write the foreword of this book, so it really brought together all of that experience from both FE and HE uh, and really told us what um, all of the literature around and it's really quite heavily referenced and in making it ready for an HE market I felt that was important to do so so we really encompassed all of the literature that there was around personal tutoring to make sure that we could give that practical guide to personal tutors they could look through and say this is what everything is happening in the sector this is the best knowledge we have how am I going to apply that and it really gave them a practical guide to do so.
0: Okay, I, I'm quite interested be, before we kind of move on at all, because um, all of you are, you know, clearly experienced and and invested in this in terms of the research that you've done and then having to to write and edit and, and publish. So um, I, obviously, I'm aware of I've been doing this for quite a long time, so I, I'm well aware of lots of the particular issues that there are related to personal tutoring. Do any of you have? You know something which absolutely stands out for you as, as being something that's you know the most practical piece of advice um, you could get to somebody in terms of trying to sort of improve their personal tutoring i'll throw that open to any of you wow that's a big question that one roger <laughs> I, I know i'm sorry i do feel like i'm a very practically minded person no it's and, a good one and, and I, I could maybe preface this by saying for me one of the most difficult things is actually engagement. But I find that the students who probably need personal tutoring least are quite happy to regularly attend and, and sit and have a chat. And in some respects, there is less to sort of say to them because they're, they're often quite self-contained people. Whereas the students that, that really would benefit from a bit of, um, you know, even just being able to express themselves or ask questions are the ones that just for whatever reason don't engage and in trying to get students to engage is something which has, you know, baffled me for more than quarter of a century. So, mm. I, you know, I'm always interested in what other people yeah, can yeah.
3: advise. I mean, I can come in on that if you if you like, Roger, in the sense of, for me, the kind of really most important thing that comes across is, is that relationship with teaching. So despite what Andy said about, um, you know, this was born in a sense out of a centralised system where, the tutors that we managed and the who carried out the tutorial system that we implemented, although they weren't teachers. Now that we all work in HE generally, um, every academic pretty much in their lifetime as an academic will play the personal tutoring role. So you've got the more traditional model of academics who are lecturers who have personal tutoring on their timetable. So therefore, Uh, And then, you know, Andy and myself in particular have teaching backgrounds of sort of almost 20 years. So therefore, for me, was the real crossover and sort of Venn diagram that exists between personal tutoring and teaching and not seeing them as separate and how we can learn from each other. Which there, there is. And then that brings to mind, you know, why did these books come out? Why was there such a gap in the market that Andy identified? If there is, if it's the same as teaching, well, it's not the same. It just has some distinct features and those distinct features are not in my view, which is why these books came to into being are not sufficiently covered in teacher training courses. So the premise of the first book was that I underwent my for example, I underwent my um, teacher training sort of 20 years ago and personal tutoring was was barely mentioned, or I can't remember if it ever was. And yet I then get a teaching job and there's this thing on my timetable called personal tutoring. So for me it's about how you marry those two things and to be you're saying you're very practical and specific because you right. you do. We do need to talk about specifics and practicalities for me. That means things like employing coaching techniques in the tutorial space which you can do successfully within the teaching space as well. Um, It's things like setting boundaries, which again is in the teaching space, but really comes into the tutorial, personal tutoring space, because you've got the pastoral element and the pastoral and academic. And again, the link between those things and when we should refer on to professional services. So I think referral, boundary setting, use of coaching are real things that I think, in my experience through the books and then running staff development with personal tutors who are academics, having written the books, other things that they find probably most useful having frameworks structures for one-to-one conversations which again was kind of completely missing when I first got thrown into this job of uh, being a lecturer with personal tutoring on my timetable so those I think are are, are really absolutely key as for okay. your point about non just briefly as for your point about non-engagement, yeah. That is the perennial or rather I should say ubiquitous challenge with pretty much every academic I speak to and do staff development with. They say, yeah, we agree with all that what you're saying, but this is ideal world stuff. No one ever turns up to my tutorials. And I'm afraid, yeah, don't have a magic answer to it. Other than we do have a bit of a a contradiction in that the research shows particularly with the student body being as it is now, maybe more similar to FE, Andy, my background, where they present with lots of different diverse needs. But the research through things like Liz Thomas's What Works reports shows that they do want the human side of education. They do want someone to represent in human form the institution. They do want proactive support. That's what our research shows. And yet, for some reason, it doesn't translate into attendance and engagement with tutoring and I think that the one of the big reasons for that is that it can be seen as optional not linked to timetable not linked yeah. to curriculum not linked to attendance so I think those are some of the reasons you find that non-engagement but and, you're certainly not on your own we all face it
0: okay And just, uh, Andy well, or Dave do you want to come in on this do, I was just going to comment on the
1: um, that's a really key point I mean as you say there's lots we could talk about but The perception of personal tutoring from both a staff and student um, from both staff and student standpoint is really important. And that embeddedness of personal tutoring and advising within the curriculum we found is really important. So that so that when students come in, they don't see it as you know, if they look at their kind of timetable, they don't see. Um, you know, that they've got all their lectures and then they've got this group tutorial that's kind of tagged on and they don't know whether it's optional or not, or these one-to-ones, what are they about? Why Why am I going to this? You know, I've got no problems. So it's it. it there's a big un, un kind of, there's a, there's a lot of work to be done around uh, embedding personal tutoring and advising within a curriculum so that it feels part of a cohesive whole and it's not an optional add-on that you can kind of maybe turn up to or maybe not turn up to. And that then leads into lots of other um, potential benefits of the building of relationships between the lecturers and, and the students uh, and and so on and so forth. And 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 just another point to kind of so embedding within a curriculum is really important. So it to help with engagement from a kind of more of a structural managerial level. But but another just one of the point I'd probably like to make is. Um, from our research kind of over the last particularly over the last three three to four years and particularly with the recent book of the case studies across uk he what's come through really strongly from both the student body and staff body is that they really want clarity on the role of a personal tutor what is a personal tutor what are they there for What, what will they do you know how will they do it what and so both the staff and students want that and i think once Organizations, sorry, universities can, can provide that clarity locally, that will help with the process of having structured meetings with a focus, with, with outcomes, and measuring kind of how things are going and the success of it from a student and staff perspective. So, th- there's, I think, from a, the, the role and clarity of personal tutoring within UKHE locally within universities is really key for them to get right um and and that then leads on to things such as engagement uh, better engagement with students
0: okay uh dave did, did you want to add anything to that or?
2: Yeah, I mean, to agree with everything that Ben and Andy have said, and it made me think of one of the quotes that we've got in the, the 2022 book, um, that when personal cheatering isn't done well, uh, it can be two people in a room that neither wants to, to be in for a purpose that is unclear to both. And probably even worse than that, in the example that you're talking about, Roger, is it's one person in a room waiting for the other person who's not going to turn up because they, they didn't think it was worthwhile and didn't really understand what it was for all of the reasons that Andy has spoke about. And I think we've really seen in the period between the 2018 book and the 2022 book some of the institutions across the, the sector who have made real developments in this has been where they've really put importance behind it so it is in the academic workloads of uh, members of staff so they feel that it's important and when they then stress it to the students that comes across uh, the, it is in the timetables of students so they do feel it's centralised into what they're doing as, as Andy says um, and then if you can get over that first hurdle from the start of the student's experience they feel this is this is key to what I'm doing this is core. To what I'm doing then the structure that we tried to bring in from the 2018 book of that um, that curriculum of things you take it as being as important as teaching um, that it links together one and the same within that despite the differences that we're talking about and um, with that structure which can be adapted locally to, to all different institutions and it's a, a very diverse sector but that's what we sought to do to to give a practical guide I guess in 2018 as to what um, what institutions can do. And then in 2022, which we, we can talk a little bit more about, uh, maybe a, a set of case studies that explore that in depth as to what actually really is working in the sector. Okay. So,
0: I, I mean, my experience over, over the many years I've been doing this is that it has gone from a, a very much more informal pastoral care uh, kind of support system into something where um, as Andy mentioned that there are there is a lot more structure and and there's sort of focused outcomes and um, in particular it's it's kind of focusing on uh, professional and academic development of students um, and I think that that does help in terms of you're not both just sitting there wondering why you've got these personal tutoring things um, but it has caused some issues in that again the majority of students who are actually attending personal tutoring Tend to be quite focused and therefore understand the you know the benefits of what they can get out of uh, something like this, whereas I think some other students often feel kind of challenged by this because they may be struggling a little bit with the sort of modular stuff, Um, and so anything that's that's extra on top of that they they almost um, react against. Having made that point though, and and since you've you've now mentioned the 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 book, uh, Ben. Um, I think it's over to you then to say, so we, we've had a, a book based around personal tutoring in, in FE, um, which was then updated and, and added to to sort of deal with perspectives of um, personal tutoring in HE. And now we have a third book. So, again, enlighten in, in me a little bit. How did you get to the stage of thinking, you know what, actually, we need to we need to take this a stage further?
3: Well, uh, yeah, thanks, Roger. I have to credit Andy again as the ideas man here in that um, what we had in the 2018 book was lots of case studies. So you mentioned about practicalities, um, practical applications. So what we came up with in the 2018 book was a lot of fictional case studies. In other words, here's here's some principles, here's some theory, here's what the research says about personal tutoring. Here's how we feel that translates into effective practice. But what's some actual, you know, hopefully real, you know, uh, that they actually mimic real life in terms of tutoring interactions with students. So we've got, um, I can't quite remember the number, Andy or Dave might be able to remind me, but there's a lot of fictional case studies within the 2018 book um, and what's called critical thinking activities. But of course they're fictional. Um, and then, as I say, Andy, credit to him, had the idea that, you know, why don't we try and get some real case studies? Now, it's slightly different in that, obviously, they weren't just all about tutoring interactions. But what we did is we went out to the sector, particularly through UCAT members, who Dave's already uh, mentioned, UK Advising and Tutoring, uh, but went out to the wider sector as well through networks like CEDA, who I know get mentioned quite a lot in in your podcast. Um, to say you know which of you would like to it would be a competitive process but which of you would like um, to tell us about in a 1500 word case study a um, story of success when it comes to personal tutoring so we've got some real published real life sorry case studies in published form where effectively what we were asking contributors to do is translate the theory and principles of the 2018 book that Dave's just referred to into know real life and a lot of them that are published in the in the case study do refer back to this we took the 2018 book principles and this is what happened in our context so it's called the higher education personal tutors and advisors companion it came out in april i think it was of this year and the subtitle is translating theory into practice to improve student success which is obviously sort of bears out what i've what i've just been saying and after a competitive process we ended up with um 25 different case studies from 50 authors so some case studies had multiple authors some had a couple some were single authored 50 authors um, from universities up and down the country so from scotland to the south coast we also um group them in terms of theme um, and a lot of them talk about the practical application that i've just been mentioning really about you know some of them uh, outlined for example particular coaching interactions with an individual student other than others of them were a bit more structural um, and a bit more um, institutional strategic, that's the word I was thinking of. Um, and uh, still, other others, others of them talked about how we need to train our tutors, how we need to support them. And there are a whole range of different um, sort of subjects from how you should structure your personal tutoring to how you should carry it out on the ground to dealing with things like um, at risk students. There's a very interesting case study from my own institution from Oxford Brooks about. The labelling that we have for students like at risk and some of the problem, problematic nature of labelling, which I'm sure you'll be aware of. Whilst at the same time, we also need to label arguably to a degree because we have these persistent um, differences in student outcomes in the data. So how we might address that and that's that can be an issue for personal tutors. Um, as well. So, yeah, it came to to being this year. um, And yeah, we're very happy to have um, those 50 different authors from those
0: 25 different institutions of case studies um, in UKHE. And of the case studies that that you saw or read, um, were there any of them that stood out to you or or maybe even surprised you in terms of, you know, did, did you, were there things coming through that actually were almost novelty ideas. So they they'd taken the principles, but they'd ha- added something in where you thought, oh, you know, that's that's a really interesting or clever way of of being able to uh, apply that. Again, I'm throwing it out to all of you. That's mm, fine. Good question. I'm just trying to think now. <laughs> Eighty
1: thousand words in my head here, Roger. Well, um, that, that's 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 yeah. true. Dave was going to come in with one. Sorry,
2: Dave. Yeah, I think there were lots in there that, that took it into different directions, and it shows what diversity we have as a sector that uh, what we'd re- written in 2018, people had kind of taken on. And I think it must be said that bringing it out in 2022 the impact of the pandemic had been huge. And we went through the process of these case studies, they were written between 2020 and 2022. So people were adjusting towards that. So I think if you'd asked us in 2019 about the um, the presence of online, uh, what you could do uh, via a video call with, with students, it was quite a minority as to what, what we were doing and then it became everything that we were doing and I guess that was uh, kind of an underlying point in several of the case studies that the way that they were trying to make what they were doing accessible to students was to use uh, every different tool available to them. Virtual was one of that, but then in terms of understanding the students, there were lots of different techniques that we used. Um, uh, Social identity mapping was something that came out that I hadn't come across before, and I was quite impressed with that. Um, There were case studies in there which were about having um, uh, policies and reviewing policies, um, but then I we came to see that actually kind of more of a framework and something which is adaptable because the diversity not only across the sector but with individual institutions was such that when uh, institutions t- tried to decree this is exactly how you should do personal tutoring that locally there have been some opposition towards that and there's one particular case that springs to mind that trying to bring into effect a policy was met with significant opposition and that is something that i had seen elsewhere so it may be reflect upon the 2018 book that it's all well and good to to have what you think is kind of good practice across an institution across a sector but you also need to always need to make sure there's a level of flexibility that individuals can tailor that and i think that's what across the case studies really came across to me it was what individually what they'd interpreted from the 2018 book and made their version of personal tutoring work for them OK, and
0: obviously we'll put uh, links to all three of the publications in the episode description so people can uh, go and have an investigate these. And definitely for me personally, um, although I'm only a small wheel in a, or a small cog in a very large machine, um, it, it is sort of that constant thing of, you know, desperately wanting somebody to just come along and go, yeah, do it like this because this works. Um, and I'm I'm always looking for for new ideas that I can try and implement in order to make uh, personal tutoring more effective uh, and and to encourage colleagues as well to to think about it. I, I I can't remember who said it, but one one of you mentioned earlier that you know one of the issues, maybe less so now, but originally was the fact that if it doesn't appear on student timetables and and you know staff are busy doing other things, researching, teaching, and so on, that that often it, it can kind of be pushed to one side and, and yet it can have such a significant um, impact on students and and all of that contributes to the other ways in which we're we're measured certainly it's um it's always one of the things that seems to come up in uh, national student surveys for example um but what i'd like to do now because you know normally the format is slightly different where i've only got one person in front of me but so what's what's kind of the next step is it a case of having published three books now? you desperately don't ever want to sort of read anything again or has this fired off ideas already or do you think you might go off in a a slightly different direction i can go
2: Yeah, go on, yeah, OK, um, so we're in the process of uh, considering what we would like to do for a second edition of the 2018 book, uh, because we do feel that the sector has changed dramatically since then, as I said, uh, with the impact of COVID. But not just that. I think that the way that people are utilising higher education, the way that students are accessing it has has changed dramatically. So we want to kind of re- go back to, to, to 2018 and say, well, is this is still what's happening? Um, can we uh, make sure that we marry up? the practical guides and the case studies that people have given to us this this year um, and go back to the theory and as much as i'd like to say that we'd um we've read everything we don't need to read anymore there's always good things coming out all of the time so uh kind of really getting to grip to where the sector is going because I think I would say the last two years there's been more change in the higher education sector than I've seen since 2008 and I would have said similar things at earlier stages and it's felt like as a as a sector we are developing more and more so we want to keep up with that and we want to make sure that personal tutoring, academic advising is within that. Um, But we also, I think, want to look at the bigger picture as to how it fits with teaching. Ben started to talk about that, the link between pedagogy of uh, tutoring and teaching. Uh, You started talking, Roger, about what is contained within the personal tutoring role and maybe what's not. And there were lots of trends of some institutions stripping out, say, uh, any element of pastoral support and it being purely focused on academic, Uh, the notion of boundaries, that Ben was talking about that being elaborated a lot more when you've the growth of mental health as a challenge that students face and therefore institutions face that was important in 2014 it was more important in 2018 I think it's more important now than ever and um, knowing what what you can do um, and working within those boundaries and how you can utilise the other support that surround you as well. Uh, and really getting to the bottom of that engagement challenge that you were talking about, Roger, that uh, if, if, if you can get in a student into a room, that's one thing. But but get actually getting them into the room. And for me, that's become my day job, that I'm working with the student populations that might be be deemed as the hardest to reach, though I don't love the term, um, and what you can do towards doing that and being more and more proactive and getting out to them at an earlier and earlier stage. Uh, As we say, kind of saying that's integral to the support that we offer to them. Um, And really winning them over that saying that actually it's not just about what you learn in your studies, it's about how you learn. that's where I feel um, advising and personal tutoring fits into the wider work of the, the sector to try and engage more and more of our students better than ever before uh, with higher expectations from them because they're paying more and more. Okay,
0: ex- excellent. Um, Andy, Ben, did you want to add anything um, else?
1: Yeah, just to, just one to drop in really. I think it's from a personal perspective, but I've certainly seen it in the sector, but it's it's a personal passion of mine is when you've got a student in a room and um, it's how you build that relationship so the you know that kind of relational pedagogy those humanistic qualities that kind of students kind of want from a a person when they're sat in front of them and for me you know it's kind of coaching is the key to that coaching conversational techniques and how you get to be able to build the self-efficacy and confidence and motivation of the student in front of you by active listening and open questions and building rapport and all those sorts of things that kind of um, we might you know just assume that kind of we're all born with naturally being able to do it really well but actually from experience maybe we are maybe not everybody has those skills and actually research and you know development work around coaching conversational techniques to build relationships between Teachers and students. I think it's really important, and it's something that you know I'm really passionate about, and that's an area I think uh, deserves more attention. Um, not just in higher education, in other se- educational sectors as well, but but I think it would be very pertinent to higher education, particularly post-COVID, when we're all looking for that greater connection and sense of belonging with groups, you know, within uh, institutions, and I think that's a, a real kind of a real
0: key to success for staff and students. Okay. Uh, well, two ex-colleagues of mine are actually, uh, they, they set up a, a coaching scheme that was being highlighted um, on uh, LinkedIn. And I was always quite fascinated by with it. I, I think for both of them, it was their research area as well. Um, and I, I think you're right. One of the questions that sort of floated through my head as, as uh, you were talking was whether or not actually, um, you know, that idea of, should the people doing the personal tutoring be let you know, teaching staff? And, and I personally think that they should be, but I, I do wonder sometimes where I have colleagues who will turn around and either say about themselves or indeed sometimes say about other colleagues, yeah, but they're just not very good at it. So it would be better to sort of not have them involved and and allow the people who are good at it to maybe have more hours, more time or whatever. And I'm just wondering whether actually, We should be trying to help everybody to be good at it by offering more um, support, in particular, maybe something like coaching, Um, or whether we should be uh, focusing on personal tutoring as being something as important as being a a module leader, where we look at people who have a a degree of expertise, either in their own sort of interactions or their ability to uh, support other members of staff in uh, exploring and expanding their ability to, to do that particular role. Um, I don't know if that's uh, something anyone wants to comment on now. I definitely um, could, but I think Ben, do you want to come in on that?
3: Yeah, I think it's a really important point, Roger. In that one thing, I sort of say is, yeah, you go around in circles with this with staff that I talk to. In that well, they they themselves, sorry, are going around in circles. In that they say it's a self fulfilling prophecy. In that um, only give we only let's only give tutoring or advising to those who are good at it therefore it lets sort of off the hook those who don't want to do it and then therefore those who do more of it get given greater number of tutees and it becomes more stressful for them etc etc and it just kind of goes goes around that way however i suppose my view you know just maybe slightly contentious is but i think what we're saying here is that really everyone should be if we have let's go back to the job description of your average lecturing job Um, it often has you know you will be expected to be a personal tutor in your job description just like me 20 years ago as I was talking about earlier and yet unlike the teaching aspect of your job description which has loads of bullet points underneath it and even sub bullets you know there's just a single sentence about personal tutoring with no sub bullets under it and I think what we're saying here is there needs to be a recognition and maybe in someday in the future You know, uh, we've kind of got it in the book in a way. What are those bullet points that should exist under that description of personal tutor? And if you've got it on your job description, you need to be both. You need to do it for one, Uh, you know, fulfill that duty, don't you? But in order to do it, you need to be supported sufficiently. And one thing I often say is that colleagues who don't want to do it, you know, let's not be, we're not here to bash lecturers by any means. Some of them, again, don't want to be too generalising or stereotypical, but if we've been in the profession 20, 30 years, you have seen the student body change quite significantly over that time, and yet the staff development to support you in supporting those students has not kept pace with those changes. And so what we're saying here is that these these kinds of things need to, we need to populate the uh, job descriptions so that we're actually clear on what you're expected to do as a personal tutor so I think that's that's really important and then the emphasis on it when you look another thing I would say is um, in sessions I've done with staff on this and we've got in the books actually is you know the history of personal tutoring in that it can seem like a bit of a newfangled sort of invention and therefore um, you know the importance of it is possibly diminished and Understandably so, how academics may find that not only is this third on their priority list behind teaching and research, but it might come 10th behind lots of other things. But when you look at the history of it and obviously the roots of the tutorial system within, Um, Oxbridge, you know, the very first universities that came into existence, it obviously had a great deal of importance placed on it. Now, obviously, the models back then is very different to what we're faced with today, but that personalised learning has been there since the beginning of higher education, really. So can we sort of return to it in terms of obviously not that the same situation by any means after all these, you know, centuries and decades, but can we return to it in terms of the importance? put on it. So yeah, I think what you raise is is really, really interesting and we need to sort of equip and support our colleagues in order to do, do this t- sort of challenging role. Um, and I was just going to say one more thing, if that's OK, in answer to the question about what next, um, which we do actually ask that question at the end of the introduction to the 2022 book, which is what next? Um, and just looking at it again recently, what we say there is that arguably the, you know, the wealth of literature that exists for teaching and learning, um, can we not make, uh, you know, personal tutoring on a par with that? So we've obviously got some way to go, um, and that's a bit of an ambition. And there is a lot of work being done on this uh, through UCAT's much larger global North American-based sister organization called NACADA. Um which is the Global Community for Academic Advisors, as it's called in the States, and they have done an analysis of the the global literature on advising in the last 15 years. And I think one step forward for us here in the UK is what they've done through that really complex analysis is obviously they've related personal tutoring to the many other aspects of or initiatives within education that it relates to. So student engagement, you know peer learning the list is kind of endless and so for me it's about integrating that um the work on personal tutoring with those other important sort of educational concepts and initiatives and i think going forward as well real thing for the for the future is this isn't going to go away so we do need to keep it we do need to relate it to those other concepts but really keep talking about it and i think improving it and raising its profile because we've got things like the new nss um, questions are going to include a well-being question, which I think you may have mentioned or been, or been aware of. So it's it's really not going to go away. The importance is arguably going to just increase, and it's about making the at a, at a ground level sort of be reflected at a strategic level because personal doesn't often come into TEF narratives, for example. But really, you know, in my view, should be because when you look at the metrics that we are judged against for something like TEF, it is all about uh, value for money it's about the student experience and all those kind of metrics that arguably personally tutoring can really strongly influence
0: so yeah i just wanted to add that point about the future as well okay i, I think that's a, a an excellent place to, to stop although i do think that's probably a, a whole nother conversation that could be had about this so i just wanted to say ben andy dave thank you so much for your time today um that was uh really interesting stuff and i will definitely be seeking out the books thank you thank for you. having
2: us thank you Roger.